When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, Redcasters. Welcome to a special episode of the Go Big Redcast. We're coming at you from the underground of Lincoln Town. Today we have a smooth conversation with a cool cat from the Lincoln Journal Star. So find a mixologist to pour you something full of chemistry, because it's time to take a hip sip with Stephen Sipple. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, Honky, and I'm with Mac. How's it going, everybody? Uh, and as you probably noticed there, producer Skip put together a special intro tonight because uh, we have a special guest uh, that, to be honest, Mac and I are just thrilled to have on the Redcast. Not that he needs an introduction, but... You've probably read him in the Lincoln Journal Star. He's a columnist for that. You've heard him on the radio. He's a co-host with Early Break with Sip and Jake, weekdays from 6 to 8 on 93.7 The Ticket. Also, so you can subscribe on iTunes. Uh, you might be one of his 65,000 followers on Twitter, <laughs> on social media. You might see him on TV regularly on the Big Red Wrap-Up. And he's not new to podcasts because he's done Husker Extras podcasts. We're talking about the one and only Stephen and Sippo. Welcome to the Redcast, Sip. Yeah, Honky and Matt, thanks for having me. I uh... You must have ran out of guests. So out of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad to do it. I like talking about this stuff. So I appreciate you thinking about the Journal Star. It's nice. <laughs> well, you bet. Just kind of mentioning that there, it feels weird just calling you a sports writer because you're doing all these different things, all these different types of media. You know, we're familiar, obviously, starting to read new uh, with the Journal Star all those years back. I remember ha- carrying a Journal Star with me to the student union on campus in the 90s <laughs> yeah. and reading you and Kurt McKeever and Ken Hamilton, John Mabry, those guys. Um, wow. I guess, wow. how has the job changed for you over the course of these 20, 25 years that you've been doing it? And how, how do you find time to do a, do a little show with us Yeah, like no this. kidding. That, that's remarkable. Well, as you, as you can tell, it, what did we have to go through about three cancellations. Or <laughs> um, it's not as bad as you think. I mean, I got, I got a budget time. I mean, I'm, I just slotted this in before I go get wings with a couple of the grandkids. Nice. I don't know. It's not that hard. I mean, if I would write faster, I'm a notoriously slow writer, so I'm trying to write faster late in my career, and I'm doing a little bit better that way. For example, like usually I wouldn't be done with a Sunday column probably till around 7.30, but I'm trying to get in, speed it up a little bit, and that enables me to do things like this. <laughs> so it works out. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, the, the four of us on the Redcast, we're all from Columbus. That's a similarity that we have with you there. Uh, there's some yeah. other writers that have come out of the Columbus area too. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, something in the Platte County water there. Yep. But was there some specific moment when you were growing up when you knew this was what you wanted to do? Um, I don't know if there's a specific moment, but I was a, a kind of a weird little kid in Columbus in, in that I knew, I'd say about age nine, what I wanted to do. And I would read, uh, so we would get the World Herald delivered in the morning, and I would beat my dad to it, probably like a, you know, right out of kindergarten-ish. Wow. And, uh, and then I would wait for the Telegram, the Columbus Telegram, which was the afternoon paper. 
Um, I would get home and wait for that and try to devour that. Um, but I always knew I was lucky. I was lucky. And, and I should mention, because I think they're probably still around. They're around. Candace Beecher was my, she was, I think, about the, my yearbook teacher in Columbus. And she really, really strongly encouraged me to get into some form of writing. I mean, really emphasized that I should probably because I was kind of an idiot elsewhere. And then, and then um, uh, Mr. Anderson was the other one who always would say he was an English teacher and he would, he said many times you should really think about getting into writing. So those, those two teachers had a big influence. Well, not only do you come from the same area as us, but you also came from the same era. I know. I was just thinking about that too. I was, I was trying to come up questions for, to ask you today. And I was just thinking, man, he came in right at the right time to cover in Husker football. I mean, you, I mean, I, I wondered at the time, did you realize that you were kind of at the pinnacle of Husker success, at least for a while, you know, you came in when in the nineties, when we were just blowing the doors off of people and, <laughs> you know, and I think, I think of a guy like Sean Callahan and his career is almost the exact opposite. Like he came in and everything started kind of nosediving and like, he's had to cover so many heartbreaking seasons and, and just us as a podcast, we started this Riley's second year or third year? His last year. His last year. So we've only covered, um, what, nine, 13 wins? <laughs> We've covered 13 wins since we started oh, doing wow. this, Sip. So yeah, yeah. it's like the, the love of the game strong. But, I mean, did it dawn on you at the time how good those those teams were then? That's a really good first question. I think it did. I mean, here's the thing. It's a little complicated. The reason I hesitate is because, I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but I wasn't a huge Nebraska football fan growing up. I, mean, oh. I was, obviously, but um, I listened to the games with my dad. But I would not – I didn't – there was a gap you know, of, in high school, maybe a little bit of college when I didn't follow it all that closely. Yeah, I mean, the answer to your question, yeah, I knew they were good. I mean, I knew they were that Osborne was pretty special um, and that he had assembled a lot of talent. I, yeah, I knew. I mean, you, and then when I started, I started covering it full-time in 95, uh, full-time. I, I'd cover it some in 94, but full time, I switched full time football in '95. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that was when I was on the daily beat, going to all the road games, um, covering all the home games, obviously. And yeah, it would be hard for it'd be hard for a sports fan not to recognize that they were freaky good. It it did just seem kind of impossibly awesome to watch those teams. I mean, you know, we were we were in high school at that time. You know, but mm-hmm. seniors about that point. So it was, and that was really kind of how I, when I started playing high school football is when I really started paying attention to college football. And it was just like, it was such a, it was so easy to root for the Huskers. We were so, so good. And, you know, you talk about how you started covering them full time right then. You've been with so many staffs now, you know, you go from T.O. to to Solich and then to Callahan and then to Bo and now, and then Riley and then Frost. I mean, the access you guys have had to have and the way that the media relationships have changed over the years, it had to be remarkable in and of itself. Or do, do you feel like the, what Frost has got going on with the media right now, is it satisfy you? That's a good question too. Um, there's never, you know, Nebraska's got to be careful with granting a, too much access because the media core is so big. Yeah. So I was, you know, it's so big. Like, for instance, Boston College announced this week that they're going to let reporters into the locker room after the games. That would be logistically impossible at Nebraska yeah. because there's 60 media that would be trying yeah. to get interviews in the locker room, and you couldn't do it. It'd be 
pandemonium. So for that, I'd say that as a way to illustrate why I understand why access has been limited. I would not say under Scott that it's all that much different than say it was under Tom. Okay. Or even Frank. It was different back then a little bit because, you know, when I think about it, I guess I think of the summers a little bit more. And you could go over to the, you guys, you know, the young people won't remember, but during the summer, you could go over to the stadium and watch the guys. And sometimes they'd let you do interviews or sometimes you just did them Hmm. um, without really unauthorized. But that's changed dramatically. You can't get in that stadium. I think Frost, his approach is more in line with kind of what I would call old school and i would even put Polini in that Polini wasn't very he didn't want a lot of access either mm. so i don't think what scott's doing is all that much different than even callahan mm. i wouldn't necessarily call it lockdown mode but it's probably a little more stringent well mac and i we've been youth football coaches in lincoln we've been going to those coaches clinics they do every spring we've been going to it dating back to the the last year of uh, Solich. Yeah. So we've seen from a practice standpoint and how they interact with, with the high school coaches and we'll talk with other high school coaches. We've kind of been able to see how from at least the Solich era to today, how things have changed. And I can tell you what we tell Redcasters a lot when we talk about that is that I know the wins haven't come yet. I know we've only won four and five under Frost, but from a back end standpoint, how they yeah. recruit how organized they are, strength and conditioning, all the things that we don't get to see necessarily on Saturdays, we truly believe the wins and all the good things are going to come with it. I don't know that we're going to go 60-3 and over five seasons like we did in the 90s, but I see the good things ahead. From a media standpoint, we're not trying to overhype, but just in general, do you see all those same good things happening that should hopefully lead to the wins? Uh, I think so. I mean, I, I it's hard it's hard for, to say for sure, right? I mean, I would put it this way: I have a high level of trust in Frost mm-hmm. in general. I mean, I have a high level of trust in his ability as a leader. I think he's very conscious of being a real leader, of being someone who takes seriously that job. I mean, that and and I know that sounds kind of weird, but it shouldn't sound that weird to people because. You know, I think we had a head coach in Riley that I think he took the job seriously, but I don't think he really put in the sort of the level of work that would equal the magnitude of that job. Mm. I, mean, I never worry about that with Frost. I don't like to I don't like to disparage Riley because he's such a good guy, but this this started to feel like you know a stop late in his career. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll tell you one thing I'm never going to say about Frost is it feels like a stop in his career. No. I mean, he wants to be here um, indefinitely. He he doesn't – I mean, he told me in November, I sat with him for an hour in his office, and he told me, you, you know, and there was, you know, there's he there, – you know, he, he there's criticism. He's not – one thing about Frost is he's really thick skin. I mean, he's really thick, so it doesn't bother him. But one thing he says, I don't care what people say. I'm not going anywhere. I never will. Um, I'll be here um, no matter what. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm never worried about Frost's intentions. Um, part of the reason I'm very uh, confident in Frost is just what kind of what I'm saying is his will to get this done is unquestioned. His passion for the program in the state is unquestioned. And I think if you start with that, you feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't take care of everything, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there's still I think he's still learning a little bit as a coach, but I like where it's, I like starting a conversation with what I just said. I've heard the analogy with him before, you know, like n- nobody washes their car better than the owner. And, yeah, and that, that yeah. kind of feels like Frost is, he's so invested in the state and the history yeah, of it. He's a great way to put it. Yeah, that's I mean, he's just, and to, but I was really glad, and I've heard you say this before about Frost has a thick skin with the media, because I, one thing that frustrates with me with just the way things are right now on social media, it's such a narrative driver. You know, it's like we, we have to believe that whatever Twitter says is basically how the entire fan base thinks. And I just that drives me crazy because when I talk to people in real life, not behind a keyboard, most of my friends understand what's going on. And yeah, we're frustrated with the losses. We're frustrated with some bad looks. But at the same time, it's like, do you, who would you rather have as a coach right now? And the answer is always nobody else. Frost is the best guy right now. It's, I feel so fortunate that the stars lined up for him to come here. So, yeah, I, I'm glad to hear you say, though, thick skin, because that's the one thing that I was worried about him coming here is he just oh, knows. Good I'm deal. That is great that. to hear. That is great to hear. I'm not worried about that. If it gets rough, which it could, that won't. I don't think that'll be a major issue. Well, Mac, you said the stars aligned, and let's talk stars for a second. Let's, <laughs> let's transition <laughs> right, sure. over to recruiting. And personally, it's a discussion that we've had on the Redcast for since we started is the whole concept of stars, star system. Uh, you had a great uh, conversation about a week ago with Jake Sorensen on, on the ticket about that very thing. I think you were talking about basketball at the time, but just in general, I was just looking through an Athlon magazine you have, Mac, from 1995. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and before stars, you know, but everyone, we, we have revisionist history sometime. We think, well, Nebraska, you know, was a dynasty in the 90, 90s because everybody was a, you know, five-star blue chip. And you know what? The recruiting looked at, in a lot of ways, it's a lot similar to right now. We had three guys in that magazine that was top 100, had a couple guys that were in the next 200, but nothing, you know, it wasn't like what you're seeing with Clemson and Alabama today by any means. To start with recruiting, what I appreciate so much about Frost is that he seems like he has the correct methodology or he has the correct strategy of let's start from the inside out. Let's never lose the Bryson Williams and, the, and those guys again. Let's win the five-mile radius before we get to the 500. And I guess I just want to, in general, what's your take kind of on the recruiting side of things? How do you see it working here at Nebraska under Frost? And, and where do you see that taking us, I guess, in the in the coming years? Well, you touched on it a little bit. One thing I really like about what Frost is doing is he's emphasizing size. And it's something I've sort of harped on, mostly on radio. The Nebraska teams in recent years, they seem to emphasize the perimeter a little bit more than I, my liking. Not totally, but just... A little bit and I mean just look at the receiving core that they trotted out there this year I mean I had coaches texting me in the opener saying why is Nebraska so small <laughs> like what's the deal why can't they get bigger players so I mean I I think Frost is changing that conversation I mean look at the look at the size of the offensive linemen in the last couple classes or the last even the last three that is a good sign I mean he's emphasized it I mean, they're not recruiting smaller offensive lines now. Same with defensive linemen. Even if you look, I really like what Frost has said recently about going after Omar Manning and Xavier Betts and then probably trying to add another, adding size to the receiving core. Um, Frost has said, and you guys have heard the comments, he recognizes what the Big Ten is all about. Mm -hmm. It's very physical. It's it's ridiculously physical. I'm always sort of amazed when people come at me and say you emphasize that physical thing 
in the Big Ten too much. It's physical everywhere. No, it's yeah, it's physical most places, most conferences. But come on, I mean, you can't tell me the Pac-12 is as physical across the board as the Big Ten. Um, you just can't. You can't tell me that the American Athletic Conference is anywhere close to as physical mm-hmm. as the Big Ten. I watched, I watched Penn State run for. 387 yards against Memphis. It's a good Memphis. (laughs) Yeah. They they had no prayer stopping Penn State's run game because it's a bitch. The Big Ten is a bitch of a league Mm -hmm. uh, physically. And I think Frost has been very mindful of that, you know, in a lot of ways, including recruiting. I'm even curious about the direction of the SEC in that regard. I mean, you look at bringing in Kiffin and Leach. The SEC is almost looking like it's becoming a second version of the Big 12, how they're starting to spread things out. They're going, I think, further away from what the Big 10 is. And you even see a little bit of that with what Minnesota physically would do to, to an Auburn mm-hmm. in the bowl yeah, game. That's a great point. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, Minnesota lines up against a vaunted Auburn front four and does that Minnesota thing where they go for it on third and four by running. Mm-hmm. And they get it. That's what the Big 10 is going to do in a lot of cases. And, I, and here's the thing. I mean, I watch it. I mean, I cover every game. I'm amazed sometimes by the level of physicality in the Big Ten. They just hammer on you. So I don't know. The one thing I've, I've wondered, and of course I don't think Scott would necessarily acknowledge if it, if it were the case, but I don't know if he knew exactly how physical it was. I know he, Central Florida played Michigan and Scott pays attention to football and all that, but – I don't know if he knew exactly what it was going to be like in the Big Ten. I mean, one of the things I'll always remember from going to the Big 12 to the Big Ten was sort of the -the off-the-record discussions with Pelini. It was always interesting to me how excited the fan base was, the media was. And then talking to Bo, there was no – he was not excited. There was a lot of concern. Mm -hmm. We don't have the roster at all for this. We don't have the backers. They didn't. People can say, yeah, they had Levante, David, and Will Compton. Well, yeah, they did. And how how many others? I mean, they didn't have a a roster that was ready for it. Then it really became evident they had a roster that wasn't ready for it. So I respected it from the get-go. Oh, yeah. I, I remember that first uh, Big Ten championship where we're playing Wisconsin again and oh, Baker Steinkuller is injured, so we're starting Cameron Meredith at a D-tackle. We just didn't have that front seven depth that you that you need in the Big Ten. You didn't need it as much when you were running peso against the Big 12 spread teams. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it was that's a heck of an adjustment. Sometimes, Sip, too, I, I think, you know, Frost is – He's still a young coach. I mean, he, he only had two years at UCF, and this he's just going into his third year here. Now, maybe did he underestimate? I don't know if underestimate's the right word about with the Big Ten as far as physicality goes, but he mm-hmm. might not have realized just how far away Nebraska was from a physical that's standpoint a great, to compete. Yeah, are, yeah, that's a great – hey, that's a good – that's probably more accurate, yeah. But, the, you know, then you see him address that almost immediately with recruiting. Well, like you said, recruiting length and, and size, that's that's – I remember us talking about right when Frost was hired, and they made a statement at the time. Maybe it was Walters or Frost. I can't remember. But one of them was talking about not having a fullback. We're not in a fullback offense anymore. And I just made the statement at the time. And I all I said was, just give them some time. I don't expect them on day one coming here from UCF to, to see the value of getting under center or the value of a, of a fullback. But I'll tell you what. I just can't picture long-term in this conference – in the recruiting area that we have, Osborne used to talk about the climactic conditions that we have here. They've only gotten worse by playing in the Big Ten. To be able to get under center when you need to, to be able to put a fullback on the field, 
and and we can certainly recruit the guys. I mean, we're not going to turn down an Andy Janovich, I would hope, in the future. So if those things are present, that doesn't have to be our full offense. I still expect us to get into shotgun and run spread, but you can't tell me that that can't be a part of it. And we started to see it, in fact, yeah. quicker than I thought. When yeah. we got against Ohio State and got into an I formation, went down the field. It was almost field. a shame to waste it on that game because <laughs> it was so fun to watch it when we got under there. It was great. Oh, I know, and I thought it'd come back. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I get why it maybe didn't. I mean, it's hard. This, in college, you just don't have that much time. And if mm-hmm. you're going to do that well, it requires a lot. Do that, meaning get into that I, mm-hmm. maybe run some option off of it true down the line option requires a lot of timing um just the fullback lead play is i mean there's intricacy involved and it, and it's going totally away from what you're doing in a, in a lot of ways so i get it i get it but i'm also with you mm-hmm. now here's what i'd say frost if you go back to oregon i mean they had royce freeman and they ran they ran the hell out of it mm-hmm. yep um frost and they, they he wants to run the ball i just don't even know i mean if we've gotten a true read on what he really wants wants to do i just think they've been handcuffed uh by personnel issues um i just i don't think i've i don't think we've really seen exactly what he wants to do i think it will know more once they get the run now i think i feel like they need to get the running back position more short up than it is even now um but once that happens maybe it'll look a little different we got a big time running back in here you know diedrich i think diedrich's pretty good but I mean, I'm talking, guys. I mean, what are we talking about here? We got the conversation. Eventually, should round into is us talking about all Big Ten running backs mm-hmm. and and guys have a chance to be all American, like a Royce Freeman. Um, that's you got. That's what Nebraska has to get back to. And that's, you know, it becomes more of a talent discussion. We were literally just trying to whisper back and forth about, ask him about the depth at running back right when you said that, which is really funny because I I agree with you. You know, Mills Mills has got potential and he got better as the year went on. I I mean, I I feel pretty good about him as our frontline guy, but then you look directly behind him and then we're starting to count on redshirt freshmen. And then who else? True freshmen. You know, true freshmen. Yeah, after that. And and they might be great and and that's fine. And, but, it is concerning because we've already talked about this. The Big Ten is a physical league, and I don't see any one running back running the gamut the whole year in the pounding that they could take to make it. So, you know, what does this offense look like when it's fully under – we're about year, a full year of recruiting now. You know, this is like maybe our first full year of recruiting now, and we did address a lot of needs, but that's a concern going forward next year, or this coming season, is the running back depth for sure. Well, I think it is because of what we established about physicality. Dedrick Mills has that. Mm-hmm. In terms of, you know, he's 5'11", 225, and I love him. I love the kid. He's a, yep. He'll be a leader on the team. Yep. He used to play every down if you'd let him. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you'd never question Dedrick Mills' will, and he might – round into a all big 10 back he's got he's got a lot to prove in that regard but yeah after him if you know ramir johnson's your backup he's i like him he's tough he's a tough kid he's tough he's a tough kid from new jersey yeah and he runs the ball hard when they sent him between the tackles at maryland i mean it was clear to me what frost was doing he was saying this is what it's going to be like so go Mm -hmm. Uh, and you saw if you look at ramir johnson in that game he was very intent on running between the tackles and running hard, but he's 5'10", 180. Right. Um, and, and he got thrown around. I mean, if you look back at that tape, I bet you would see he got thrown around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Ronald Tompkins is a is a guy you like, and I, I like his size, but he's had three knee surgeries. If I'm yeah. maybe more than that, for all I know, but uh, at least three. Um, I like his size, and then yeah, the guys they recruit I like, but I know I know what this league's like, and you know if you're gonna put Marvin Sims uh, the third out there, um, Sevian Morrison, they're gonna have to be awfully precocious in terms of their physical ability and. I what I look at more than anything is how they handle it mentally and emotionally. Right. Because as you guys see, once you get into the season, it is relentless, and it's every week back to back. There, the tough teams are coming at you, and it's it's really hard for a, a true freshman to really be a difference maker. Um, you see it sometimes, but I don't know if you can count on it. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit of the off-season changes and some of the roster management that's currently going on. We've had some guys leave through the transfer portal, expected. In fact, we need to get some of those numbers in place so that we have openings available sure. for incoming transfer portal people. Or Hopefully, or, maybe, a, maybe a running back in there. You maybe, know, that'd be who great. knows? Another wide receiver. Yeah, or something. that could be. Yeah. Um, to start with the roster piece of it, I want to ask you a question about the four-game redshirt rule, which we think is a great thing. I mean, it's, been, it's a great option for the players. Are we still trying to figure out how to use that rule, or was that just kind of a strategy going in that we just want to redshirt as many guys as we possibly can and get through the season? Yeah, I'll tell you what. I'm, I might be the last guy to ask on that. I'm not a fan. <laughs> I'm not a fan of the rule at all. Mm-hmm. I think the conversation is way too individual-oriented. I don't know how to assess what they were doing. I don't. You'd have to look at it almost – and I do this, and I know sometimes I come off as being overly careful. I would literally, before I address that, want to sit down and look at the way they used every guy. Mm-hmm. And, and I just haven't done it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not a bad idea. I'll tell you what, in the offseason, that's not a bad idea. But I would literally have to kind of go guy by guy and look at it. But I guess as an overall, just you know, looking back on a very surface level, I didn't have any major problems with what they were doing. You know, the other thing about that, because you're right, it opens them up for one more area of criticism, too, right? Because fans are like, well, you could play him four games, just play him. I'm like, well, there's more to it than just playing a guy. You just don't throw a guy out there who's a freshman who may not be ready for a variety of reasons we mm-hmm. don't know. But then the other thing that makes it a little delicate, too, is if, if this transfer portal portal comes uh-huh. into play, you know? And then... Do we try to make sure we don't redshirt the guy? Do we play him the fifth game so he doesn't try to transfer out? Or if he plays his four games and doesn't like how it's looking, does he take off? And like, there's so much that goes into roster management. It's probably one of my least favorite topics, if I'm being honest, just because it because it confuses me. I'm like, oh, I didn't think about that. Oh, yeah, he's right. This guy's got this much eligibility. And then I know those guys, people talk about coaches' salary all the time. I feel like they earn it. I really <laughs> do feel like they earn it. Here's, a, here's what I've learned in 30 years of covering ever since 95. I, I, I always say 30 because you know, I covered it the student newspaper and all that. But the it's really hard for me to judge those sort of individual situations because of a simple fact. There's a lot we don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's if you're not over there, I know that almost sounds like an easy out, but if you're not over there day to day and don't understand what's going on in a certain kid's life, sometimes, sometimes. Mm-hmm. then it's really hard to make judgments. I mean, I've been around long enough to know that things pop up that we don't know. You know, I've sure. learned about stuff in hindsight. And then I then 
I look at the situation different. It might be four months later. I'm like, oh, God, I wish I would have said what I said on that podcast or on whatever radio show because I didn't really even know, you know. There's certain things you find out, like oh, back in the day, they went to a quarterback when they were hurting, when they, when they had a long – I mean, I'm not going to get into the kid, but they had they got down to a redshirt freshman they needed to play, and he said he didn't want it. He said he, he didn't feel he was ready. Um, so that was something that was, I don't think it was ever reported, but that's the sort of thing that you can kind of find out later. So mm-hmm. you don't know exactly what's always going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you one of the things you definitely knew what was going on was when Lubick was getting hired and all the talk was coming out about, you know, Mickey Joseph, you were right at the front of it saying, none of my people are saying that. And you were very adamant. You definitely had uh, good sources there that, you know, Lubick was the guy. Uh, what do you think of these off-season changes right now? Obviously, bringing Dawson back. I've been able to watch Dawson at a coach's clinic. He was talking about the D-line. But what do you know about the, the new guys? And obviously, that they're people that have a connection with Frost. I'll tell you, the offensive staff, I really like. Listen, I didn't have a big problem with Troy Walters. But if I just look at the offensive staff, I have a high degree of confidence in it. And now probably a little bit more so with the addition of Matt Lubick, just because of what uh, Frost has said on the record. Also about what I've heard a little bit behind the scenes, mostly, you know, Troy, Frost feels like he needs dogs on the recruiting trail. I think Troy was fine, but I think Frost wanted better. Um, I think he feels like he got better in that regard. And he also added a guy who feels really confident in, in terms of Matt Lubick's knowledge of the offense. So I think that's been dissected. People got a pretty good handle on Matt Lubick. I would say a lot of what makes me confident is more about the holdover guys, the promotion of Austin, giving him run coordinator duties. Mm-hmm. I like I like that look. I like it because and you definitely get differing opinions on those those tags, those like when a coach gets a new job title, some coaches will say it doesn't mean anything. Simple, it's just a way to get him paid or whatever. Other coaches will say no, 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 no. That means a lot. That's responsibility. That's accountability. If the run game goes bad, maybe Austin will feel that much more ownership. Plus, Austin's just I think a, I think he's a great offensive line coach and is going to continue to get better. Some of the stuff I said about Frost, passion and intent and will apply exactly to Ryan Held. Hmm. Um, same thing at running backs. I, I don't doubt his will at all. He's not here for to advance his career. He's here to make Nebraska as good as he can. Becton is a fabulous – I mean, I just think Becton's a great communicator, great communicator, knows that position, had that position playing pretty well. And then, you know, Mario's Mario. I mean, he's mm. devoted his entire life to coaching quarterbacks. Yeah. It's his essence. Um, I just don't think you can go wrong with that staff. And it's not that I don't – I like the defensive staff too. I don't have quite the enthusiasm for that side that I do the offense. But I'll tell you, like that passion, that will, uh, the want to, I would never question it in Chenander. And I don't know, we all understand how valuable Fisher is. Yeah. So, I no, I like this staff. I mean, I, come on, it's easy to say that, but 
there's a lot of substance that suggests that Frost put together a good staff other than just giving the surface level thumbs up to it. And a couple things, too, about that sip that I like is, you know, when he came here and he brought the entire staff, that was a storyline in and of itself, right? He brought uh-huh. the whole crew with him, and, and that's great. But then there were also the people who kind of pulled back a little bit. It's like, oh, it's a buddy system thing, and Frost is too stubborn to make changes. Well, he's kind of blown the doors off of that already with the offseason. He'll make changes. You know, he understands what it takes to win. Yeah, he did. And, you know, I was listening to, was it Friday that you guys were talking about? Uh, Sean Snyder going someplace else and, you know, the the panic or desperation of the special teams. And if we were to look back at last season, and clearly, you know, special teams is an area we struggled at. I'm not going to point it on one person or anything like that, but let's just say we just had a consistent kicker all of last year who did kickoffs and who did field goals. That probably, without without really stretching the truth too much, could have amounted to two to maybe three wins. But even at two wins, that gets us to a bowl game. And if we win the bowl game, that changes the entire offseason. And if we win the, that, then the, then the narrative for next year, which I will say I feel like most fans are more in a prove-it mode than, than, than they would last year. But if we had the, just that one thing, then are we really that far away from being a pretty good team again? I mean, I just don't... You know, I sometimes I get influenced by outside opinions, and sometimes they just irritate me to the extent that I go way the opposite direction. I'm just kind of wondering where you where you settle on that one. Well, I mean, that's a, it is. We all I think we all battle that in our minds a little bit. They weren't far away in certain games, you know, mm-hmm. like Indiana. And I guess my most disgusted moment was when they couldn't get a stop late against Purdue with Purdue's third string. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, I thought, but I thought Nebraska showed against Wisconsin. You, you would come out of that game saying, okay, maybe they're not that far away. And then I thought they acquitted themselves really well at Maryland. In a game, I know that people say Maryland's terrible, but I don't look at it that way. I looked at it the way Nebraska approached the game. They were, mm-hmm. they were very, I keep using the word intentional. They, they showed up ready to play. I mean, and that's, told me a lot and then you know the Iowa game I just didn't think Scott had a good coaching day at all I, I, I didn't like the way Jack around with the quarterback position but whatever they they went toe-to-toe with Iowa should have beat Iowa mm-hmm. yeah I mean do I feel here's the thing though I mean it's gonna for a long time probably going forward a lot of how we judge Nebraska is going to be based on how they do in close games so they're going to have to win a lot of close games. That's yep. the type of program Nebraska is right now. Mm-hmm. If they're going to have the sort of season they want, they're going to have to win a game like Indiana, win a game like Purdue, continue to win a game like Illinois. Then it's all, you know, win a game like Iowa. I believe that that's what's going to be the separator, how you do in those type of games. Yeah. Well, Sip, I, I know uh, you got to get going here, so i got a final question for you here. Last year's LSU team – uh, it certainly will go down as one of the greatest of all time. I'm not here to say it is the greatest, but one of them. Um, I was talking to a colleague of mine, Carl Vogel. You used to work with him at the Journal Star, and he was telling yeah, me a Vogel, story. Yeah. He was telling me a story back in the day, 95, you going down to the Fiesta Bowl game against Florida. And he called you on the phone about a half hour before the game, and you were talking with him, and you, st- you told him two things. One of them was you said that this Nebraska team is going to blow him out. You saw yeah. something on the field. You saw something with the lineman. He told me you're the only guy that he had talked to that previous to the game, prior to prior it, to the said game. they're going to blow him out. And the other thing was you said, I got to get going because I got to get up on top of the press box to watch it. 
why were you sitting up on the press box, number one? And maybe number two is how would you at least compare – You've seen a couple of greatest of all time teams, LSU and Nebraska, 95. I mean, what were the traits that were similar? I mean, here's the deal. It was really simple to me. Uh, and I, I told my brothers and my dad, I was calling back to them and saying, this Florida team, they can't do it. And the reason what they won't be able to handle Nebraska's physicality, because we had, I covered Florida down there. I, that's what I was doing. I was hmm. covering Spurrier's practices. Um, I was the Florida guy, so I saw their a lot of you know I saw their personnel, not practices, some of the practices, but not a lot. But I did see their personnel up close, and it was it came it became very clear to me that they were too small. Hmm. And if you look back, just watch the YouTube. Look at the size of their linebackers and linemen. Mm-hmm. So they would come into these press conferences, like at that hotel. And here comes the middle linebacker, and I'd say, "What's that? He's not going to be able to handle this. I mean, <laughs> they're going to they're going to bulldoze it." And they did. Yeah. And that's what they did. And, and it's same with the D lineman. The D lineman just they looked unable physically to handle a Nebraska line like that. To handle a running back like Phillips, I knew how Phillips was going to run. Phillips was a little bigger. Remember, he'd been suspended. Oh, yeah, he came back heavy. He was, what was that, the Iowa State game he came back? He was overweight. Well, yes, here's the thing, though. He came back against Iowa State heavy, but by the bowl game, he was a pro. He yeah. was an NFL running yep. back. And he was running like an NFL running oh, back yeah. in practice. In fact, I remember the stories from practice that guys didn't want to deal with him. They didn't want to tackle him. Mm-hmm. Um, he, was snor- he was a bull. And I, and I just knew there's no way Flores going to be able to handle this. Um, it's not – I don't get many – picks right but that one seemed really easy now i was because uh, as far as the press box i did i had to sit up on the top of the press box it was sort of a nightmare because it was really high <laughs> there just wasn't room and i was kind of a young guy <laughs> um so the other guy like babcock and hamilton and mckeever got seats in the press box <laughs> and i was up top which wasn't the best deal because it was kind of cold and um, but the game was such that it, it didn't, I didn't have to stay glued in that hard because it was over pretty quick. I remember early in this, in the call on that Pavelka saying something about the score was a little tighter at that moment. And he was just like, pay no attention to that score. Ladies and gentlemen, the Florida <laughs> team is not, they just don't know how to handle Tommy Frazier and Lawrence Phillips right now. And it was, you know, after years of getting pushed around or, you know, ran down by the Miamis and the Florida States just to go out there and dominate a Florida team was probably one of the most satisfying moments of all time. And you're right, you know, that was Lawrence Phillips had a fantastic career here and he was always one of my favorite players. But that that Florida game, that that was like the pinnacle of Lawrence Phillips. He did everything in that really game. Good. It was an interesting I was assigned to cover Lawrence's situation that game and I do remember very well it was apparent he wasn't going to be back. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he was a super nice guy, by the way. I I, I was always sort of uh, a little put off by the narrative about Lawrence, that he was this glowering figure. I never found that to be true. He was really smart. Mm-hmm. He was really, really intelligent. But I it was I always had kind of a sinking feeling after interviewing him, like, ah, oh, that's it. He's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Like being able to see him in that type of performance, um, I'll never forget it. I and I and I love running back. Everybody knows. Anybody who knows me knows I love that position. I follow that position really close. And he was, I mean, he was really fun to watch in that regard. Hmm. Regarding LSU last year, do you see similar traits to that team and the '95 Nebraska team? And I, I always I can't stand that conversation of trying to compare a team twenty even thirty years yeah, apart. It's hard. 
but just the, do you see similar traits? I mean, obviously, I guess. Physical, blue collar. Yeah, I do in one big picture sense. LSU is a blue collar program. Yeah. It is. Those kids, they recruit kids from the country, from the city, but they're all, it's like Nebraska in a sense in that. I mean, there's more talent in Louisiana, but those kids want to play for LSU and it's, it's important to them and they play like that and they do have a blue collar mentality down there. It is, it's a, it's different than like Texas, for instance, which is, you know, soft culture. (laughs) (laughs) LSU, you would not say about LSU, it's a soft culture. It's a, it's a rugged, physical, hard nosed culture like Nebraska used to have. Yep. Um, and, and hopefully we'll come back under frost. And that's, again, I guess we can end it here. I, I, that's why I'm very confident in frost because that's what he wants. Yep. Frost, nobody would ever convince me. I don't care. I mean, the offense, offense, whatever frost is interested in physical football. That's his yep. essence. And that, yeah, he'd want, he'll want it that way eventually. Yeah, yeah. I, the, just the, the book is just still left unwritten on this on this team it on this is. staff. So, uh, Sip, thank you so much, man. This was so fantastic. I mean, we could have we could have kept you for two hours. I I'm glad you put a time limit on us because we're. I remember a time we got spent with Milt Tenniper. He when they opened up the uh, what was it the South Stadium or North Stadium. Um, he was he was there with a buddy of ours, and we ended up going to Heidelberg's with Milt. And it was one of the highlights of our lives. It was just these two guys and Milton at the end of the night. And his wife ended up calling him and saying, hey, you need to get home. And he's like, oh, I got these two young guys and I'm boring the heck. And I'm like, no, you're not, Milt. Please keep talking, Milt. We'll come home with yeah, you. It's like, a, he was amazing. Uh, he was the best. So it just Yeah, sometime when we do it again, I'll tell you a good, great Milt story from New Orleans. You'd be blown away. Um, it's a good one. I mean, he's a, it was a very positive one. And um, I uh, we'll, do it, we'll do it again sometime. We, maybe we do it again soon. This is the time of the year to do it. Perfect. That'd be great. Thanks so much yeah. again. Thanks so much, Sip. Yeah, maybe we could just have a part two or something. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Great talking to you guys. Whew, that was awesome. It was really cool. Learned some things there, talking about uh, Frost and you know how he has the thick skin, how he wants to be here indefinitely, that this isn't a stepping stone job. And not that we necessarily thought it was, but it's that validation that it's not. It was really cool to hear from from Sip. And I think some of the stuff he talked about with LP and to be able to kind of go back to those glory years like that, it's just really cool. So Mac and I have had a chance to talk with Chattel and Sipple. Uh, Mike Babcock's out there listening. It would be cool to get to talk with them, too. I love the history side of the program. Uh, those are my guys that you know I grew up reading. But it was just really want to thank Sipple for, for doing that. And Redcasters, we hope you enjoy it. Uh, this is why we do the show. And, you know, if, if you liked it, please leave us a five-star review. We always like hearing the feedback. And, and hopefully this is one of those shows that connected with you. So I'm not quite Dave, but I'm going to do the best I can. We're going to call that a Go Big Redcast. Well, that's it, my babies. Looks like our glasses run dry. I hope that hip sip with Steven Sipple got you buzzing. Be sure to consume the Go Big Redcast responsibly. And until next time, stay hip and funky.